dobrovare at konlankare. Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. Uh, I, with me in London... I'm not in London. I, or in England. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my lovely co-host, Bianca Mangum. <laughs> Who's somewhere. Who is in England somewhere. I thought you were in London. No. Okay, and then... Uh, before we go too much further, I have to introduce in Wisconsin our intelligent and very informed co-host, William Annis. <laughs> Hello. Although that reminds me, sorry, <coughs> but um, earlier this week I was at a pub quiz and I was so mad because the question was something like, on the American football team, what city are the Vikings from? And I was like, well, I know it's the Minnesota Vikings, but Minnesota's not a city. So I made up some city from, like, Min- Minnesota just because I thought it was – and I got the point wrong, so I yelled at him afterwards. <laughs> you were wrong. Yeah, but this <sighs> question was wrong. So It anyway, asked for a city, not a state. Okay. Anyway, for the last time, what what city are you in, though? Um, well, it's about an hour north of London. It's really small. Okay, I'm just going to say London from now on. <laughs> if you say London, I'm going to yell at you. Well, tell me the name have... of the city. <laughs> she would not have complained about the food if she were in London. <laughs> no, I... I was in London for six months. Unfortunately, I was too poor to afford any sort of nice food, and the food I could afford was quite crap. Although, amusingly, they have cookies that are named Maryland, which I say Maryland because obviously no one here understands me when I say Maryland. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's like the pause. I'm like, oh, where are you from? Maryland. They're like, oh, Maryland. And I'm like, no. <laughs> it did not come from a cookie. Um, when I'm in another country I and people ask me where I'm from, I usually start with the United States. Because well, everybody I'm knows sure that. They can straight tell I'm American. Yeah. The, everybody knows that. And if 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 the, I say West Virginia, and this works in certain parts of the world, it doesn't work in other parts of the world. If I say West Virginia and they don't know where that is... I start singing Country Roads. Okay. <laughs> it works well in, in uh, Japan. I want to see that on a street in Ulaanbaatar. Do you want to see me sing Country yes. Roads in yes. a place I've never heard of? Yes. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Capital of Mongolia. No, I, I mean, mean I song. I country Roads? You haven't heard it? <laughs> okay. Country Roads, take me home. Oh, I have heard of it. Yes. yes. John Denver. It's a song about West Virginia that names landmarks that are actually in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to West Virginia. <laughs> have you had pepperoni rolls? I had them from, like, an Amish market, which is bizarre, but not in West Virginia. That's odd. Usually, even, like, just across the border, people have never heard of pepperoni rolls. Well, I'm assuming it's, like, some roll thing with pepperoni in it and cheese. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much it. (laughs) Yeah. But not when I was in West Virginia. All I did was go like through the Shenandoah Valley and see like a cavern. Okay. But I was like twelve. It was actually really fun. Anyway. There's. I need to figure out where where you went then. <laughs> okay. I think it was like Luray Caverns. But we're not here to talk about West Virginia geography then. We're, no. <laughs> we're here to talk about linguistics. Yes. William, are you still with us? I am. Okay. Uh, 
we're going to talk about this is a little bit of a complicated topic I think but we're going to do it as much as we can we're going to talk about role marking now by role I mean the semantic roles and so the like the basic semantic roles are the subject I think you can call it a, an experience or two the agent and the patient uh, the subject or experiencer is like the subject of an intransitive sentence. The and the agent is the the subject of a transitive sentence. The person who is doing something to somebody else, and then the patient is the person who gets uh the, who receives the action of somebody else. Is that a a rough a good explanation, maybe. I think so. I've always been irritated by the word "patient." Mm-hmm. Um, just because if I say I see a cat, the cat is in no way impacted by my gaze. It so could exactly- be if it's Schrodinger's cat. Right. <laughs> okay. That so is- ignoring, ignoring cats <laughs> tortured by theoretical physicists, um, or you know, I see a wall, or I hear a bird chirping. It's it's more describes you know the focus of some verbal action and the, we don't need to go into that. Most people understand it and are so used, especially English speakers, are used to what a direct object is stated that way that that will will survive. Yeah, yeah that's makes sense. Though as we get into our featured conlang, we'll have to 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 mention uh, something that he specifically does with that kind of sentence. But anyway, yeah. And those are the the three main ones. Uh, We should probably mention there's also the theme and the goal, which I'm not sure if those are always the terms. No, those are more discourse. They they get switched around a lot, and like what you call them depends on who you talk to a lot as well. Yeah, but basically talk talk about when you have a di those are only affected when you have a ditransitive verb oh those, see I'm so used to dealing with languages where ditransitive actually means you get two of the same thing marked um, that I, I don't I don't think of them much in terms of this topic oh so marking okay. it's just this core what do you what must you have before your verb will make sense okay and well, so the reason the reason you want to discuss the roles separately from the cases or or other things is because different languages split up the function of those roles differently yeah there right are, now we're speaking a language where the subject role and the agent role are always subjects, what what we call subjects, and then the direct object is always the patient. Whereas in an ergative absolutive language, the agent of a transitive verb gets marked one way, and the patient of a transitive verb and the subject of an intransitive verb get marked a different way, but the same way. Yeah. And that's, those are the two core um, basic alignments. And then you can have mixes in between. Right. So, and we can talk about, you know, on a different show, the whole fundamental difference there between alignment. You can have a small number of languages where the subjective, the agentive, and the patientive role are all marked differently. Um, Nez Perce does that in a few languages in Australia. And then it's starting to look like an awful lot of languages that were once thought to be either nominative accusative or ergative absolutive are actually active stative languages, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is confusing, where um, an intransitive verb can can take either an agentive or a subjective Subject marking, depending on how much involvement 
and how much agency the person doing the thing is, is involved. So I sleep would typically take an absolute ergative alignment. That is, the subject would be in the, in the patient role. Whereas I walk would take an, would take agent subject marking. Yeah. And I think you were right to say, like, we, we can, you just went over that very well. And I think we can kind of let that stand. But what I really want to talk about is different strategies you can do, use to mark these things. Right. So, yeah, a big long discussion about all the implications of nominative usative versus ergative absolute. <laughs> all that fun. That can wait for another show. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the LCS recently started uh, this. Um, um, I'm I'm going to call it a journal, but it's only one article a month called Fiat Lingua, and the inaugural article for September was case marking and event structure one conlanger's investigations and in the the first couple parts he actually goes over the different strategies um he goes over um accusative and ergative and then he goes over the different strategies for marking um for for marking roles and he focuses mainly on case which is one way to do it is you use your core cases to mark things but uh, in addition to that you know he mentions you use can use syntax you can use marking on the verb those syntax almost always follows nominative accusative no matter whatever other stuff is in the language I think I have no idea. <laughs> I will take your word for it. Okay. That makes me um, less confident when you don't know something. <laughs> I just don't know. I, I have no opinion either way because I, I can't remember the last time I've read anything about that. I think there there are languages that have ergative syntax, but they're very rare, which is odd. But, um, and... Again, there's more to this when you get into the interaction between uh, accusative syntax and ergative syntax, but let's not get too far down that rabbit hole. But so, this for syntax, basically you can use English as an example. Sure. For nouns in English, the only thing that distinguishes the different roles in syntax, the... Uh, the the things that are nominative, the, the subject and the agent, come before the verb, and other stuff comes after the verb. Although subject is marked on the verb, so it has verb marking as well, but it's mostly the word order. Yeah. Which is um, true. This is, what, this is the, the whole, you know... SVO, SOV, BSO, all that fun. Yeah. And you can have... I think this is true. I can't think that any of the possible word orders, excluding... We'll just leave out the super rare ones for now. I think the big three common word orders, VSO, SVO, um, SOV, all have languages representing them where word order alone, or mostly alone, determines the role. Yeah. Well, if you want word order only by itself, Chinese does SVO. Yeah, let's not even talk about Chinese because it's a topic-heavy language and all sorts of madness happens because of that. Okay, yes. Yes. Um, I was going to talk about Chinese as an ideal, but yes, um, when you get into more complex sentences, it gets screwy. Yes, if you actually want to say something real in Chinese, then that whole word order thing falls apart. Which yeah. is also true, frankly, of English. Um, uh-huh. In in exalted literary styles, all sorts of weirdness can happen. Well, I think it's also important to note that even though you can have a strict word order, that doesn't mean you can't move stuff around. And it's worth putting thought into how 
you could shift this stuff around but still make it grammatical in a language. Well, right. yeah. I mean... Well, no, I'm not saying... I'm suggesting it for anyone to consider these things to add. Yeah, you can sh- you can definitely shift word order around even when... Like, we're we're talking probably mostly base word order. There's a lot of things that happen with topicalization and other other shifts for emphasis and such that yes are and um you know question uh, mutations on questions and all that crap that that we don't really want to talk too much about when you're talking about the syntax. Well, no, I don't want to go down that path either of each permutation and how it relates to the exact meaning. That Uh, would be too long. (laughs) So, but let's not talk about what we don't want to talk about. Let's talk about what we do want to talk about. So, we've covered the, the syntax strategy. The other thing is to mark it on the verb. And... What most of us are useful uh, are used to in Indo-European languages is the the subject has some agreement marking on the verb, but as we have noted with even a language we've reviewed in the past, it's not that weird to also to have both the subject and the object marked on the verb. Right. So uh, the simplest example for most people, if they want to go look something like this up, is Swahili. All of the Bantu languages do this, but Swahili is the, probably the easiest to approach. Um, yeah, in a transitive verb, both subject and direct object are cross-referenced on the verb, and um, the you know external subject and object are also uh, overtly marked for their class. So you have nice agreement, so you can – it's always clear who's doing what to whom because the subject role and object role are marked on the verb, and then you just have to match the class to the words outside. And so long as the participants are not of the same class, in theory, you always know what's going on. Uh, is there a way to disambiguate that? Is there, I'm sure is there it? is, but I don't speak Swahili, so I, I mean I've not studied it in, in, in enough depth. Um, I would expect that there's a default word order or some other yeah. strategy. And for... generally, these classes tend to make it fairly obvious which one is doing which, unless it's like an extraordinary case. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was I going I to say? I didn't know that Swahili was... I didn't think of Swahili as Bantu. I thought it was a Creole of Bantu and Arabic. No. Uh, well, no. It's, it's got plenty of Arabic vocabulary, and it is certainly simpler than the other Bantu languages, but it is still altogether Bantu down to its toes. Okay. Well, that's just a, a sad thing, but... Sure. And, um, and and languages like Navajo do this as well. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, the, the direct inverse marking, where you can some in some languages you can mark uh, with one with only one uh, morpheme that marks both the subject and the object as far as person, but that can be a little odd, too. Right. That's Yes, that's animacy hierarchies, which we've not really talked about yet. Yeah. You can put that it's aside on the for list. episode. It is on the list. Yeah, there's a lot of tangential stuff that gets involved with this. Right. That we need to treat in other episodes, but uh, and then the third way to do this uh, is with case marking, and so English uses case marking in um, only on pronouns. You have other, probably a very clear case. Well, I don't think we want to talk about Japanese necessarily either, because it also has topicalization but uh yeah but it's it's often used as an example at least of the nominative accusative case marking and you can mark case you 
and the ways you can mark case, you don't have to necessarily have suffixes or or affixes, but you can also have add positions sometimes. But yeah, there's there are multiple ways to mark case rolls. So let's just go with that. So you're gonna mark rolls with case. So you can do what's very popular with people who are in the Indo-European sphere, right? You have declensions for nouns and declensions for adjectives. You make them agree. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Very standard. Um, In plenty of languages, you do not mark the case of nouns. You mark the case of phrases. So your entire noun phrase, whatever it is, is given, and then you tack the case marker onto the end of that, whatever it is that happens to be at the end there. I don't see too many conlangs who do that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So the conlang we're reviewing today does that actually. Yeah, right. But Well, I, the one we did is a very exceptional one. Yeah. It is yes, it certainly is. Um but but that's a, a possibility too that, that that some people might want to explore is, is you don't have to go through this whole agreement nonsense. You just slam up your noun phrase and then whack the ending on. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Japanese does this with these particles. When I was learning, they were called relationals. I don't know if they're still called that. By see, that's the um, the thing actually with Japanese. They're called particles. They were called particles when I with the materials that I tried to learn stuff with. But the more I look at it, the more they look like just plain suffixes. Well, we can talk to a phonetician about that sometime. Um, What are you doing, Bianca? Sorry, I had to check something. (laughs) Um, So, right, so that's a possibility that, that, that might be new to some language inventors. Mm-hmm. And uh, that gets in a whole other thing about the, the boundary between politics and uh, adpositions and all that. But anyway. Well, that's a good point, right? Do you want to present this as a separate word? Do you want it always to be criticized on the previous word, which may or may not actually be a noun? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are questions there that, that people will want to look into. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm most accustomed to phrase-level case marking being a clitic process. Um, Yeah, the well, the phrase level. Yeah, you have to either either use a clitic or uh, an ad position. I'd I'm, I'd be sure. But and if you're using affixes, it would be probably uh, mark on probably mark on the noun. But um, okay, we're getting a little confused here. No, I'm, I'm just the, – the possibilities are, are pretty long. And, and then we – again, all, everything we're talking today, everything we're talking about today cross-cuts so many other things. It's a little hard to, to stay on topic, right? You can have prepositions or postpositions to mark a case. You can have declensions, which is you know some unanalyzable thing. You can have clitics, which are – you know, usually a little less likely to change shape. They're just glommed onto the end of whatever the thing is. I mean, that's what the English possessive is. Yes. That's right. I think the that's English... the most infamous example of it. Right. At least, at least to us as English speakers. Yeah, at least among uh, English, English-speaking English linguists, they always use that as an example of a clinic. It's the only one we have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this but is, it's this very is, pervasive. It is very pervasive. Most people don't think about it. Right? So for people who have no idea what we're talking about, in English, the possessive apostrophe S does not actually attach to nouns. It attaches to entire phrases. So you can say things like, the man I saw yesterday's dog. Yes. So that whole phrase has been then has been turned into the possessive. And that may not be the clearest example, but it's it's – Pretty pretty pervasive once you're. Uh, another used to one. To it. Another one that I've heard is the the Queen of England's jewels or the Queen of England's nose, whatever you want to call. Right. It. That sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, where 
even though where you're talking about something belonging to the queen, but it's marked on the whole noun phrase. Right. Yes. And, um... Right. But you can mark pretty much anything with a clitic, and what we're talking about right now is case marking on a clitic... With a clitic. With a clitic on <laughs> a noun phrase, which is something that uh, certain languages do. We, I'd, I'd be going into our featured conlang to find the example if I were going to get an example. But um, So you have those different options for marking it. Now, when you're going to go into this... You also have to decide on, depending on where you're going, you may have to work on your animacy, an animacy hierarchy. Um, another issue you may need to deal with is, um, well, obviously you have to choose whether you're going to do ergative or, nom or accusative or some other thing. I mean, well, ergative, absolutive, nominative, accusative. We, I, I shorten those to ergative and accusative, but... Um, or go with some of the less, the less common alignments, which I think we should just transition into our featured conlang, because it has... I wanted to mention one last thing. Okay, one last thing. Um... I've run across one or two places where a language that uses clitics for case marking may have, especially phrasal level case marking, may have a separate way to distinguish a um, predicate adjective or noun from a non-predicate adjective or noun. So the difference between the big dog and the dog is big – Oh, that's a, that's that's something that we failed to mention yet, because predicate nouns work very differently. Right, they kind of like so in English, you can mark, um, you can use the whichever of the nominative or accusative pronouns you wish. Your English teacher will tell you to use the nominative pronouns. But in practice people will use the the um, the accusative. So there that shows that there's some sort of confusion in there. But it seems to me that they work differently from uh, regular Verbs, a copular verb works differently than yes, regular absolutely. verbs. Absolutely, they're completely weird, and yeah. it just one language I was looking at Chemuevi, I think it's dead now. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, spoken in uh, Southern California once, um, because adjectives that go with nouns can go on either side indifferently. The linguist who investigated the language could never figure out if there was any sort of pragmatic implication there if you had big dog or dog big. Um, I suspect as a result of that flexibility, a predicate adjective takes special marking. Hmm. Okay. And some languages do funky things with predicate nouns. Does that language have zero copula? I would have to go copula, George. Copula. copula. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, I would have to go look at the grammar. We can include uh, a link to it. It's interesting. The grammar is available online. The dissertation is pretty good. Oh, okay. Well, we, we should we should link to that. That's yep. a, an interesting case. But yeah, marking predicate descriptives, predicate adjectives, and predicate nouns separately is something in, that interests me because those seem to work a little differently. Just for no reason. 
shall we move on to our featured conlang? Sure. Okay. So this it relates to our topic. This is a themed show, kind of, because uh, it was. The, so the author of the paper I'm talking about, I was talking about, is Matt Pearson. He's a professor of linguistics. Uh, and um, where is he professor at? Yeah. I'll have to find that. But um, And he created the language Okuna, which was formerly known as Tokana, but he changed the name. Why, I don't know, but... Because anyway, that's what language inventors do. Yes. I've changed the, the name of my my first languages a couple times, so... I've never um, changed the names. Well... Anyway. <laughs> I haven't been around long enough for it to be an issue. <laughs> you probably will, in the future, change mm-hmm. names somewhere. But, um... So... He used this, and he specifically looked into case marking and different ways. And he um, that was part of what pushed him into creating Okuna, which is a fictional language that. I think exists in a con world because I the the uh like the the place names that he um that he mentions in the grammar are unfamiliar to me. Right. And he was kind enough to send us a a uh an up-to-date grammar. I don't know when this will be online, but he said that uh that he that somebody's working on putting it online. I but it's it's I don't get that. It does not need to be a web page. It is perfectly fine as a huge PDF. And it is oh, huge. that's right. It's, it's a had... lovely, well-done PDF. Oh, absolutely. And it's perfectly it... fine. It yeah, not... And you can I just put know. it on Dropbox and link to it. Yeah, he said that it was... He, someone was going to re- convert it to HTML. I don't think no. this would, this would uh, look very good on HTML unless... You did a whole lot of reformatting. That would so, murder it. Because this, there, he's. It's very, very verbose, which is not a bad thing. I'm saying it's just that he has very detailed descriptions. It's much more. It's, it's, uh, like 320 pages. Um. It's 322 pages altogether, and it's, just, it's too long to put in HTML. They should just put it a link um, to the PDF. I, I agree. But anyway, to get into the actual language, so first of all, let's talk about his alignment system. He has really bizarre, well, all of his alignment has an odd sort of logic to it. So, at the start, it looks like a regular uh, ergative language, but there's certain cases like where where um well William you were saying the sentence I saw the cat the way he would do that is actually mark the subject I in the dative case and his idea was his dative is usually your dative is for the recipient of an action or the recipient of something when uh, of um, of when you have it's when you have a direct and indirect object the uh, the direct object will get dative. Is that right? 
indirect. Indirect. Object. Indirect object will get dative. That's right. The direct object is somehow passed to the direct object. But you must in suffer his more language, German. This his, his language, this his dative is whenever somebody sort of uh, receives something, and the idea is when you see something, you're receiving information about it. So he puts it in dative. Intriguing. Everybody's very silent. No, it's 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 confusing what he's done, and and I recall. So we've got we're looking at his gigantic, beautifully laid out LaTeX grammar. And then there's the separate issue, which is this paper for Fiat Lingua. And I, I recall from that paper where he said he wanted to come up with something as funky as possible and still be defensible and possible. Uh-huh. He has succeeded in producing something fairly funky. Yes. Well, I don't think this date of marking is that strange. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, it makes I... It has a logic to it. I can't recall them offhand, but there are natural languages where the dative gets called to do surprising things like this. So individual bits of what he's doing are seen in natural languages. Well, I kind of uh, did the same thing myself, but instead of having it as a recipient, I had it as instead of looking at something where you receive the image, you took the image. Mm-hmm. But it's the same kind of idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like he has, he has extended further how these things go. Talking about, um, he uses locative for for some verbs for similar situations. I just sorry say it the way I say it. Um, so, 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 so one thing we should is, say before we move on to the more exotic cases. Uh huh is a lot of what is going on here has to do with the semantics of um, the lexical aspect, the, I should say the lexical aspect of a verb. Uh-huh. So telic verbs versus atelic verbs also plays into all of this in, in subtle ways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need to go read Rick Morneau's um, lexical semantics, semantics giant article somehow to 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 figure out some of what's going on here because there's a lot of subtle stuff about how verbs work mm-hmm. um, that needs to be understand understood before you can correctly choose the cases mm-hmm. <laughs> in Okuna. It's, it's it's a very complicated system. So this is an atelic, uh, yeah, yeah, atelic low agency. With a half twist of lime, you know, you have to figure out the, exactly where that verb is. That's where you just memorize it. Well, right. I mean, when we were talking about the um, the active state of languages where high agency actions are sort of ergative and um, low agency actions are kind of intransitive, in some languages you just have to memorize. It's just a rule. This verb is always marked this way. Other languages, you can fiddle with the semantics. You can make implications about how the action happened or whether it was successful or not by switching back and forth. Mm-hmm. Honestly, we got the Okunagrama so recently and it's so freaking huge. I don't know which way he goes. Um, I'd probably go with a little bit of both. Yeah, I can't. Uh, it's it's too big. The, I can't tell. The thing with role marking is that you always get to the point where logically something can fit into one or the other category, and you just have to like choose. Yes, it's going to be this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, and this kind of uh, this kind of draw draws into the whole idea of mm, okay yeah it does it does happen that way sorry i'm i was i was doing other things while i was talking which is not a good idea but yep. anyway yeah well, there's it, it, in my own amateur view i like to think of role marking as kind of how you split the cake if that's a phrase in any place at all you know, that's why I wanted to mention the thematic roles first, because to p- 
depends on how you see the different actors in the situation, and that's how you split your role marking depending on which strategy you take. Yeah. That's, and we that's see that true. with the verb to see here. Like, I don't think most of us would originally consider the scene action as something where you're the patient and it's coming to you. You'd say, oh, I'm looking at it. And yeah. From- um, so- yeah, and that's what he he was saying was that he wanted this language to take certain things like... Um, Specifically, verbs of perception, he wanted to make it so that the person who's doing the the perceiving is receiving something. So he designed that part of the language after that specific. um, But there's other things like, um, he has an example, Sakyal is repairing the fence, and then the fence is dative. Whereas we would probably put that accusative or... Um, other languages might make that a- absolutive. He makes right. it dative because the fence is receiving Sakyal's repairing. Right. So here's here's a great example of what he's doing and and what it's so interesting. Um, so for you guys, it's on page thirty. So I'm just going to read this paragraph because it's cool. Compare the following sentences. In 4.45 and 4.46, the event of writing ends once the letter is finished. Hence, kihun, letter, is the delimiter and takes the date of case. Example 4.46 also includes a non-case-marked noun phrase, es luom, an hour, which measures the amount of time from the beginning to the end of the, of the event to the end point. In 4.47, the temporal measure phrase itself delimits the event. That is, the event is over one hour, is over once an hour has elapsed, not once the letter is finished. Since the measure phrase identifies the endpoint, it appears in the dative case, while kihun, which is the letter, um, no longer construed as the delimiter, is treated as the theme argument and takes the nominative case. So, 445, Sakyal wrote the letter. Sakyal, nominative, letter, dative, write, perfective. Then the next example was Sakyal wrote the letter for an hour, Sakyal, ergative, letter, dative, one hour, write, perfective. And it all gets wacky for the next example. (laughs) Sakyal worked on the letter for an hour. Sakyal, ergative, letter, nominative, one hour, dative, write, perfective. Yes. We can cut and paste that into the the show notes when when we post it. So that's an example of, of, of the... The internal, it's it's almost aspectual. It's uh-huh. aspect Very. is interacting with the case choices, which is something that happens. Uh, at least yes, according absolutely. to what he was saying. Oh, geez, uh, I'll have to clean up that formatting. But anyway, um, yeah, this really, um. Yeah, there is a lot of there's there's just a lot of different considerations to do whenever you're constructing a sentence in this language about animacy, telicity, and agency, and you just have to be thinking about so many different things pragmatically to successfully construct a grammatical sentence. It's really it uh, takes a while to do. Um, what other features did you guys... Um, I I know you guys didn't have a whole lot of time to look at the grammar. So um, you might not have looked too far beyond that. What other things did you find interesting about it? Uh, I'm trying to think. I was reading through it. He has one three of different classes of verbs. Right, and then there's... But not on... Hello? Pardon? Oh, hold on. Never mind. Um, so you were going to talk earlier, George, about the locative. That's what's used with verbs which express emotion or physical sensation. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I was happy 
is marked by I in the locative, happy in the past imperfective. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I was most impressed by the giganticness of this all. So well documented, so many examples. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of derivational morphology. I really get excited about derivational morphology. And now I feel like a slacker because he doesn't just give one or two def- examples. He gives half a page of examples for a lot of these things, or a quarter page at least. Yes, he's great on the example front. Uh, he's um, you. You'll see, and he explains all his examples too. He he he, as you can see from the thing that uh, you can tell, this guy's a professional linguist. Is all I can say about it. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah I wouldn't recommend this for like your beginning conlanger. I'd say this is more advanced reading. Uh huh. Um, but look- oh, you can still get it, get something out of it by looking at how he structured it. And well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I wouldn't want to throw someone into the fire. And so, because I feel like there's a lot to go through here, and if you're new to the field, you don't know much terminology. It's going to be really dense. It is pretty dense. Uh huh. Um, I might. I might wish for more than just the north wind and the sun for a connected example, because I'm always excited about longer running discourse matters. Yeah, the north wind and the sun, and the sun it's, it's sort of a standard example everybody uses, but it's a kind of a short example. Um, it's a short example. Yeah. And that's okay, but other short examples might be nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, there have got to be bigger examples somewhere. Because mm-hmm. this this is a vast work, and we've not even seen the dictionary. I hope other sorts of texts are being produced than just examples. Uh huh. Well, I don't think yeah, he could get that to... level of detail without doing a fair amount of. Well, I could be making stuff up. But... I have a feeling that he wrote a big, long, like almost novel about this guy Sakyal because he's he's often in the examples. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! see, I've just seen an example that makes me hate the language. Why? Every language that has a word for squirrel, I want nothing to do with. Why? Why Squirrels you... are evil. Squirrels are a pest. They're evil. Why? Why? What I planted squash this year, and they ate every single one. <laughs> see, I like squirrels. We, uh... Oh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Only people who have here. never had to deal with squirrels like squirrels. Um, uh, one year we got uh, squirrels to actually take peanuts out of our hands on the front porch. See, Yay, you, you got to touch a rodent. <laughs> you are the party of the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and he has a lot of... Oh, this is interesting. So his kinship terms. Yep. He distinguishes older and younger, which is uh, I I like. He it distinguishes mother's older sister from mother's younger sister, which is interesting. Maybe there's some matrilineal. There is. There are two entirely separate um, ways of counting consanguinity in the language. One is paternal. One is maternal. Ah. Okay. Um, and, and you cannot um, marry within certain relationships in either of those. So you belong to multiple clans at the same time. He so he has clans. some good con culture stuff along yeah, with yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I'm seeing now he has paternal and maternal on everywhere. And um, 11 basic color terms. Mm. That's pretty... Long. It's not that weird. It's a little bit large, but not it's, it's, monstrous. It's not, it's not it's the not craziest huge, thing I've ever heard. It's, but it's um, a little bit large. Yeah. What English does has a lot anyway. Basic. Well, yeah, we don't. We have a large basic inventory, but 
Yeah. Um, he there's a a little end section on on his his verbs of motion, which are well thought out. So trajectory verbs versus manner of motion verbs are are, are work work interestingly. Oh, okay. And that fits into that kind of goes. Ooh. Ilal, Ilalta, go towards the shore. I like his, that. His examples are very tame, though. His examples? Wait, why? Well, normally when you read through a grammar, you'll get one just for, like, weird sentence. Well... This hasn't had any, like, weird sentences. These are... They make sense. It's well, like sometimes I feel like people will just want to throw in a sentence there just to see if anyone's reading. What 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 are you looking for, like... I was going to say, I just saw the sentence, Sakyal was jumping around in the hole. Seems like an awfully strange <laughs> sentence to me. Are you looking for, like, uh, colorless green dreams or whatever? No, it's like every once in a while you'll get one where they're like, crap, I don't know how I'm going to use this in a sentence, and it'll just be something preposterous. Oh, sure. <laughs> no, I'm, I've been responsible for such mystifying examples from time to time when you can't think of... As someone who, in my as-yet-unpublished grammar, uh, composed the sentence, I hope the frog does not come, uh... <laughs> I I say I I I I also say that you know you yeah you could get some weird stuff and he doesn't have too much oddness. <laughs> well, I have a bunch of examples involving cooking a duck, so I suppose <laughs> should complain. Well, I mean, I like to keep them culturally relevant, but that doesn't really help much. These just sound normal. Yeah. Do well, you think it's going to rain? That's a useful sentence. Yeah. Well, it's pretty, you know, it's fine for... You don't want to use too many screwball examples. Well, no, I'm not criticizing people, it. It's just... You want people to pay attention to the grammar, which is which is what you should be looking at. Um, oh, Ooh, one I... thing I saw, and I didn't fully read this section, so I wasn't really sure how it worked, but his his pronouns have two different, have uh, a a full form, and then a I'm wanting to say a, an affix or a clitic form. And I'm trying to figure out where that was. Uh, I should have read before I dove into this episode but um the the, the phonology's fun i like that he has coda h i always like that oh yeah i, like I have the h. hardest time hearing coda h what like sepan 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 are you saying it cuz i don't hear it i'm not convinced that you're actually saying it he he is saying it <laughs> i'm saying it it's really interesting, and it really throws English speakers from for a loop because no one ever learns that some languages let H be in Dakota and like oh, and English I knew doesn't. it happened, but I still have a very hard time and hearing it. Like I've heard news announcers, I, I think in some cases they're pronouncing Coda H as a H instead of an H sometimes. And but I like Coda H as well, and I like um he mentions so he has geminates, but stops cannot geminate, and what happens if two stops come in contact into each other is the first one turns into an H. Oh, that's interesting, sure, yeah. Which leads to a lot of code of H, because you know, the from his phonotactics that that kind of thing happens fairly often. But that doesn't result in the more devilish word final H. The word final H. <laughs> <laughs> Some 
what's wrong? What what's hard about word final age? Some some dialects of Spanish have phonetic word final age. Arabic has word final age. Yeah, it Arabic has. has word final age. In any case, this was, anyway. I just enjoyed that. Just from- <laughs> well, I actually liked his consonant inventory. It was different without being ridiculous. Yeah, uh-huh. and he had. It was one of the few things I actually got to skim earlier. Yeah, let's. Let me get back into phonology here. It is very funny that it's a coronal-heavy language, right? Lots of T's and S's and and the lateral Africa thingy, cla. Coronal. He has he has he has both cla and he has doesn't he? Yep. Yeah, that's that's both funky. Well, it's it's. I mean, look at the consonant inventory of Navajos sometime. It's like they, they didn't want their tongue ever to leave from, move from behind their teeth. Um, but it has, but it, it has S, it has the lateral, sla, and F. <laughs> that F just strikes me as really weird for some reason. Really? Why? It does. I don't know. It's just... It's, it's just... Do you have any other... Um, what are they called? I can't remember. I fail. Labiodentals. Nope, just F. And then the labial P and M. Uh, labiodentals. No, yeah, he didn't have those. Hmm. I prefer V to F, but that's just, beside just the point. F. Um. Anyway, oh. I just I'm just observing that as something I thought was funky for for your fricative inventory to be S F and sla. And ha. And yeah, if you if you count her as a fricative, okay. Uh, yeah, well, I suppose depends on the language whether you're gonna count that as a fricative or not. But yeah, um, I don't know. Um, what would you have added or subtracted there? Would you have removed F? I'm not sure. I would probably I have F. removed F. I think F is pretty common, either F or the the bilabial yeah. version. Yeah, I just I I just might have a personal hostility to F. <laughs> F is um, kind of dumb. He doesn't have a whole lot of consonants, and um, which I appreciate. I love I like I like small consonant inventories that people do interesting things with. With. Mm-hmm. I mean, are these dental teeth then? I'm he's not dental slash. Alveolar. If he had a dental T, I'd actually rather have the th than fa. Yeah, yeah. But minor romanization issue. I don't like what the way he uses y. I'm not As sure whether I, that's supposed to be a schwa or um. It, it is in fact schwa. supposed to be schwa. Yeah, it's I don't a schwa, like but y I keep for schwa. It, wrong. It, it looks. Damn Swedish. When I see y as a vowel in a language, I want to say uh, use call it y. Well, you know, I don't care. I mean, <laughs> typically, if I have a schwa, I'm going to use e with an umlaut, for uh-huh. which you can, for which you can blame the Albanians. But y is not a bad choice. Mm. Certainly, in this inventory, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Welsh somehow survive with it. So. Hmm. Although, yeah. Well, Welsh has multiple uses for y. We just want to talk about, but. Yeah. No. It's. <laughs> I just wish he would not worry about this turning into HTML. And and let me tell you, as somebody who uses LaTeX, it looks like he's done a certain degree of his own LaTeX customizations to make it pretty. Mm-hmm. And that is not going to pass through a, a program that will automatically convert it to HTML well at all. I can't uh, imagine anything converting this well at all. Yeah. Why not it's just leave it as the PDF? It's a lovely, it's, gorgeous PDF, all that I could ever ask for from a PDF. I would only ask for a title page with a timestamp to say what version it is. You know what I'd ask for? A little search thing on the side that links to the sections. Oh. Uh, he could actually do that easily. Yes, but it's you not can, there yeah, now. You can it's do not that there. from a, from yeah. a PDF. Um, right. I know. I do it on my PDFs. Because I get lost with forty pages. I don't know how I did it without with three hundred and twenty-two. Uh, my guess is he, it's that there's multiple source pages and that they're all glommed together at the end. Um, anyway, yeah, 
George, we're going to make you our ambassador to have him just put this up. Okay, I'll send just him an up, email. It doesn't. It does need to be. It does not need to be HTML. A dictionary would be nice to see, though. Um, yeah. What? Well, and uh, he actually has a dictionary that he offered to send me, but he hasn't gotten back to me about that. But uh, holy cow, he's got instrumental prefixes. I just noticed on page three hundred and six. <laughs> Uh, the prefix na attaches to a number of stems to derive verbs, expressions, action performed with the hands, while to, to you, forms verbs that are only actions performed with the legs or feet. <laughs> nice. I wonder how they do football. So, pound with that prefix becomes pound with own hands, beat, or throttle. Throttle is a useful verb to have. <laughs> um, uh, tread on or stomp. Which is derived from grind or pound. Mm-hmm. Now this is interesting. That's very idiomatic. So, muota, um, which means become whole or complete. When it takes the the hand instrumental, namuota means to repair, semicolon succeed at, accomplish or attain. Oh, that's very nice. That's I see, love those nice? lexical details. Yeah, isn't that nice? That's that's I like that. Anyway, George, make him publish it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna Can ask him. I'm gonna him. shoot an email to him and tell him uh, our opinion is that you could just put the PDF up. No, and... tell him HTML would be wrong. That it's lovely and gorgeous as it is, and that insisting on HTML is a waste. Okay, and hopefully he'll, if 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 he agrees, if he agrees to do that, I will put the link to that in the show notes because Yay. we can't talk about everything in this grammar. No, we don't God. have time. We have. I, we have, I didn't even have a chance have to read even a hundredth of this. Uh huh. Um, I have a feedback, but. Like I only had one feedback that I actually wanted to cover in an episode uh, as a feedback. I have another one that I would like to start an episode with. So, and we're we ran a little. I think we've talked for over an hour already on this episode. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to save that for the next episode, and then because uh, the next language we're going to talk about is not this not quite this in depth it's it's a great language but it's not quite it doesn't take quite the uh breaking down that this language took that <laughs> and again yes. if if he has it up in it whatever form in the future when we publish this i will make sure that i uh link to that in the show notes be- for this episode because it's cool. You need to you need to actually look at the grammar, and we're not saying you have to read the whole thing beginning <laughs> to end because it is very long. But uh, well, I would I would uh, recommend that. But barring that, just skimming through and looking at various different features is it, it would be valuable for inspiration. I thought all conlangers read grammars for fun and pleasure. What are you talking about? I never read I never read grammars before I started doing this. Neither did I, really. I, but now you do. The wonders of conlanging. Okay. So, uh, any parting words of wisdom from Bianca? No. Uh, from William? <laughs> Not today. No. Okay. Did anyone else want to go like Akuna Matata? <laughs> I think every time I read it, that's what I thought. Okay. Well, <laughs> happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at Conlangery on Twitter.
If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line, 304-873-6281. We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Medeus.